Welcome to the APOE4.info podcast, where we discuss science and health from our perspective as carriers of a gene associated with higher risk of Alzheimer's and heart disease. Here is your host, Julie Gregory. Hi, friends. I'm very excited to have Dr. Hussein Yassin, an associate professor at the University of Southern California, as our guest today. The Yassin Lab works on understanding how changes in brain lipid metabolism predispose individuals to develop Alzheimer's disease pathology. Dr. Yassin is an expert in brain lipid metabolism. The Yassin Lab approach combines imaging studies, clinical trials, observational cohorts, and animal models with a focus on Alzheimer's disease as it relates to APOE and is actively funded by the National Institute of Health. Dr. Yassin is a leader of the Research and Education Corps of the University of Southern California Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. He's also the current co-chair of the Nutrition, Metabolism, and Dementia Professional Interest Area of the Alzheimer's Association. The Yassin Lab has uncovered important structural and functional changes in lipoproteins from both cerebral spinal fluid and plasma of patients at risk of Alzheimer's disease based on the APOE4 genotype. Dr. Yassin is the principal investigator of PREVENT E4, a randomized clinical trial testing whether high-dose omega-3 supplements can slow down cognitive decline in APOE4 carriers when started before the onset of clinical disease. Dr. Yassin's basic science lab investigates mechanisms of APOE4, associated brain pathology, focusing on APOE, ABCA1 interactions, brain inflammation, and develops biomarkers and drugs based on APOE and brain lipoproteins metabolism. Welcome, Dr. Yassin. I was really looking forward to our discussion today. Thank you, Julie. My pleasure. In order to prepare for it, I was listening to your previous interview with Dr. Peter Atia. That was really an epic discussion. Thank um, you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, listen, I'd like to start by learning more about you. Tell me a little bit more about your background and how you became interested in studying APOE4. Right. So my background is um, I, I got training into endocrinology, um, specifically within endocrinology lipids. Um, And then, um, you know, within my niche of lipid specialties, I was studying lipoproteins in the the blood. And uh, we were interested on uh, the function of HDL particles, uh, otherwise known as good cholesterol. We stumbled uh, across important roles for APOE in the blood. And at that time, I moved from Tucson uh, to Los Angeles to join USC. And USC had a very strong Alzheimer's program. Yeah. Uh, the uh, chair of neurology at USC came to me, Elena Chu, and she said, well, do you know that APOE has a major role in Alzheimer's disease? And, and we're talking 2012 now. Yeah. And I said, well, 
yeah, I've heard about it. It, it. it seems to have many roles. And she said, would you be interested in getting some small funding to look at what APOE is doing in the brain? And I said, why not? <laughs> and right. it was a slippery slope from that time till now, uh, almost a decade. And my lab has focused on APOE sense in the brain and trying to understand what it does, how it works. And if there's anything we could do to prevent or change the course of APOE4 on, on aging brain. Well, interesting. My interest in APOE4 began at the same time because in 2012 is when I learned I carried two copies of the gene. Mm. And back then, as you know, much, much less was known. Mm. And in terms of clinical advice given to patients, there was very little information. At that time, we were told to eat a very low-fat diet and Mm. we were told to do crossword puzzles and square dancing. And I thought, really? (laughs) That's what the medical community has to offer us? So things have evolved, thank goodness. And Mm. thank you for your interest in this gene. We we need more people like you. Absolutely. I'm going to start with a really monster question, but we're going to break it down into bite-sized pieces. Um, What do you perceive to be the top three mechanisms by which APOE4 leads to dementia and or cardiovascular disease? And then I've got little follow-ups for each of those mechanisms. So if you want to go one by one, we can do it like that, or you can share all three at the top, whatever you prefer. Absolutely. So these are great questions, and I don't claim to have the answer to those questions. All that we have is some bits of pieces of this puzzle, and we're trying to piece it together. So I think more and more research is coming and proving to us that we have to be humble. Oh, I totally appreciate that. (laughs) And I share your humility. I am learning more every single day. Right. So let's maybe start by asking what APOE is, and then possibly get to the answer uh, right right after. So APOE, as you probably know, is a gene, um, and it encodes um, its protein, APOE protein. Now, our interest in APOE is because in nature, APOE is found in three common variants or three forms. One, what we call E2, E3, and E4. E3 is by far the most common. Approximately 70% of people have the variant 3 or the copy 3. Less low would be E2, 20 to 25%. And that can actually vary by ethnicity as well. So mm. whites and, and, and Africans may have different uh, population frequency. Mm-hmm. The common example is in Nigeria, up to 50% of people are E4 carriers. Um, E2 is less common, uh, approximately, you know, anywhere from 5 to 20%, depending on the population. E2 is protective against Alzheimer's mm. and, in fact, is one of those very few genes that has been shown to be associated with a longer lifespan. E3 is neutral, and E4 increases the risk of Alzheimer's. One copy slightly increased the risk of Alzheimer's, and two copies uh, significantly increased the risk of Alzheimer's. So um, that is what APOE gene and APOE protein um, exist. These are the forms that they exist. Um, Part of my interest in this uh, APOE is because it makes um, HDL particles, meaning that it can get lipidated. 
it carries lipids like fats and cholesterol and becomes a truck carrying those um, fatty uh, molecules both in the blood and in the brain. And uh, the most common mechanism for people to attribute or in, are interested in ApoE is by their lipid carrying capacity. So the initial view of ApoE mechanism as an AD or Alzheimer's disease risk factor was tied to its ability to carry lipids between different cell types. Uh, in the brain, for example, between the helper cells known as astrocytes and the neurons, uh, which are the main brain cells responsible for our ability to, to have a cognition or to fire, to make memories, and so forth. So that's the first impression of how APOE works. But as we learn more and more about APOE, more things have uh, evolved. And um, more important now than carrying lipids is the ability of APOE to regulate inflammation. And yeah. those two mechanisms are not, um, not separated from each other, right. meaning that the ability to carry and exchange lipids is associated with the uh, ability of cells to become more inflammatory or less inflammatory. And those two mechanisms are coupled. And now most people, or some people at least, believe that this inflammatory process in the brain could be playing uh, a big factor in the uh, evolution or development of diseases like Alzheimer's disease dementia. There are other mechanisms that have been attributed to ApoE4 that are related to both lipids and inflammation, and they include um, blood vessels um, changing their behavior, becoming leaky, or uh, having atherosclerosis or stiffening up because of lipid accumulation. Um, other mechanisms also include um, the response to trauma, the, the ability yeah. for uh, the brain to respond to trauma, whether it's uh, injury, falling, uh, epilepsy, or any of that, is not uh, um, as the same response in non-E4 carriers. E4 carriers tend to respond uh, by being more inflammatory and producing more disease in, in response to trauma. Thanks. So I would say, yeah, the ability to uh, exchange lipids and the ability to modulate inflammation uh, would make the APOE4 brain uh, more prone to, um, to getting disease. And maybe finally, APOE4 as a third mechanism, if you're looking for three, it has, has ways that it interferes with the metabolism of nutrients, including fat and carbohydrates. And that could possibly also put the aging brain at increased risk of, of neurodegenerative diseases. Okay, I love all three of those mechanisms. They're really, really good. Um, let's start with the first one, the exchange of lipids and how APOE4 carries lipids differently than the other APOE genotypes. Yes. Help us better understand that. Yes, so um, lipids um, are not soluble in water. Mm -hmm. Classic example I give is you've got this, you know, meal, you decided to use your pan, and you started to cook, and you had great greasy meal full of fat, and then you want to clean the pan after, you know, doing, you know, right. frying the meat, for example. Right. You, you turn on the water faucet, but you realize that the water is not able to efficiently extract the fat sticking mm -hmm. from the pan, because water and fat are not mixing. So what do we do to solve this problem? 
we we add some soap, right? So mm-hmm. APOE is behaving like soap. So what APOE does, it takes the fat and the water and allows them to form particles or missiles or uh, lipid droplets, mm-hmm. and then they can dissolve and become entities which can circulate. So fat okay. will not get suspended in blood. It, it just cannot. It will crash out of the solution, the blood solution. So to be able to tra- get transported, whether it's going to be in the blood or across the cells in the brain, it requires to be packaged in droplets. And APOE is efficient in doing that. And that's by principle what APOE does to packaging of fat and its distribution between different cell types. Interesting. So let's talk about how APOE4 does that perhaps less well than APOE2. Right, right. So I I would not say less well or 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 worse or better because it differs by ethnicity. It differs okay. by so I would argue that in Africans where APOE4 right. probably came from, we, we probably right. descended from a tree of lineage in Africa, and then we started exchanging genes. APOE4 is very functional and not right. associated with Alzheimer's. The, the mismatch happens is because uh, we live in, a, in an environment now that is more sterile, <laughs> less infectious, mm-hmm. and we're able to get to 80, 90, and 100. But right. if we did not age and we were living in rural areas where our exposure is to parasitic infections, other infections is prevalent. In fact, if you were an E4 carrier, you would have a survival advantage. Uh, so so you, we would have to look at APOE4 as a mismatch as opposed to be less efficient or more efficient. It's quite an efficient system. In fact, our ancestors, based on right. like, genetic studies of the past, suggested that all of them had E4, and it was time we started getting E3s and E2s. So so in that regard, I I wouldn't call APOE4 good or bad. It's just a mismatch. Um, So the mismatch happens when E4 carries lipids differently than E3 and E2. E4 tends to um, carry less lipids than E2 and E4. Mm -hmm. And because of that amino acid uh, substitution that makes E4 E4, um, it tends to aggregate, meaning that the APOE4 particle tends to clump and carry less lipids. Now, why is that a problem? Well, it might be a problem because the APOE4 system, when it clumps, can induce a greater inflammatory response. Mm-hmm. And in populations exposed to infections, that greater inflammatory response would clear the infection, would assist the body in getting getting rid of uh, sepsis in case a pregnant woman is, is getting septic, unfortunately, because of her exposures to infection. And that term in pregnancy is known as purpural sepsis. Right. An E4 uh, female can effectively fight purpural sepsis and deliver infants compared to an E2 or an E3 female. And an E4 carrier living in rural Ghana or uh, in the Brazilian slums uh, is more efficiently fighting parasitic infections than on E4. Now, we move now to northern altitudes, and let's specifically talk about northern Europe, where APOE4 is predominantly transmitted to whites. Mm-hmm. And um, they live, they're living in sterile environments where there isn't really much infections. The inflammatory response that APOE4 is supposed to be fighting infections 
is now misdirected and um, is it, leading to um, a, a sterile inflammation that manifests in the accumulation of amyloid in the brain mm-hmm. or um, uh, uh, some form of atherosclerosis in blood vessels outside the brain. So here's, here are examples where we see the mismatch between APOE4 um, different ethnicities depending on the environment that exists. Right. We actually know of several uh, primitive hunter-gatherer tribes like the Chimeni in Bolivia and yeah. certain um, groups in Nigeria that are APOE4 carriers, and they do extraordinarily well um, and because of everything that you just described. I kind of want to get back to APOE to better understand that mechanism, though. So my understanding is that APOE2 carriers have uh, higher levels of peripheral APOE compared to APOE3 carriers and APOE4 carriers. Does that play a part in this mechanism? Is more better? Not necessarily. Okay. Um, Part of the response uh, or part of what APOE does can be assessed by the levels of APOE. But the reason why I'm a little bit ambivalent and not strong about the answer is because that doesn't translate into the levels of APOE in the brain. Um, In the brain, E2, E3, and E4 levels are not uh, different uh, as much as they are in plasma. And that has to do with the clearance and how APOE is cleared from the blood. Um, APOE2 is cleared at a much slower rate in the liver compared to E3 and E4. But in the brain, the clearance pathway is different. And um, changes in the levels of APOE in the blood may not translate to changes in the level in the brain because these are two different compartments. APOE in the blood is made in the liver to a large extent. Less extent is made in uh, macrophages and other cell types. But in the brain, the large production site for APOE is going to be your astrocyte and to a lower extent your microglia or immune cell of the brain, parasites and and other cell types. So these are two different pools of APOE and their levels may actually differ uh, based on whether they're in the blood or in the brain. So yes, you're correct in that APOE2 has greater levels in the blood, but that doesn't translate to changes in the brain. And Increasing APOE2 in the blood may or may not result in in, um, changes in APOE levels in the brain. This is a good area of study, and more research is needed to understand this crosstalk between the brain and the blood. Right. Are you familiar with research done by Katrine Rasmussen from Denmark? I have seen some of that work. Yeah. You have a specific... um... Well, yeah, so she took a very large data set, I want to say over 70,000 people, over a very long period of time for a clinical trial. I think it was over seven years. And she looked at peripheral levels of APOE, and she found a very strong correlation. Those that had low peripheral levels of APOE, regardless of APOE genotype, um, tended to develop dementia as they aged. So people that had higher levels of APOE appeared to be protected. And that kind of follows the APOE 2, 3, 4 story. 
So, you know, I know that we don't know how that translates to APOE in the brain, but it makes me wonder if that's a biomarker worth tracking. I think she's written a few papers about it. Yes, I've heard that story. And I can tell Uh you that it's an interesting concept that needs to be tested. Now, here's what we don't know. What we don't know is, does lower levels of APOE in the blood mean means that there is something in the brain that's also happening at the same time that is making the risk of Alzheimer's bigger. Mm-hmm. And the higher levels of APOE in blood also means that the same process that's leading to higher levels of APOE in the blood, causing APOE in the brain to function better. So right. we don't know um, whether that same reason why you have higher APOE levels in the blood or lower APOE levels in the blood is causing something else in the brain that leads to less or more dementia. You're right. It's just a correlation now. We don't understand the connection, right? And that's why we have to be right. careful in moving to the next step and assuming that higher levels of APOE in the blood means we should give people APOE. Oh, right. Because we, don't, we shouldn't no. think <laughs> that that's the case. Right. We know that when you increase the levels of APOE too much in the blood, you can get very high triglyceride levels. I noticed that. So it actually predisposes you to cardio- cardiovascular disease. So it seems like there's a fine line, it's a, a balance. Line. Yeah. It's a blood phenomena. It can't be too much. It can't be too little. as has to be Right. Oh, boy. You know, I kind of want to go back to the mismatch theory. So if you were me, an APOE4 homozygote of European ancestry, um, should I get some parasitic infections and play in the mud? <laughs> <laughs> should your children be exposed to more infectious um, environments? And I, I would argue that it may not be a bad idea. Right. We need to develop, we need to tune down our immune responses. Right. And we know in conditions like asthma, and we might talk a little bit about the autoimmune nature of Alzheimer's. Right. Nature. In conditions of asthma, communities that are exposed to hay and other allergenic responses at a very young age are protected from asthma than communities who live in sterile environments. Interesting. Yeah. And same with children that are exposed to pets. They are healthier, right? Yes, exactly. So there certainly is something to that for sure. Um, Let's move on to inflammation. Talk to us about how that mechanism works um, as far as it relates to APOE4. Right. So inflammation is a very uh, difficult area of research to study because it's, it's not as simple as we think it is. Okay. Um, the definition of inflammation varies from one setting to the other. Uh, there's an inflammation that happens after you get an acute infection. Mm-hmm. There is an inflammation that happens with chronic conditions like cardiovascular disease and Alzheimer's, and they may not be the same. Uh, What we know is that inflammation is a way for the body to adapt to injury. So when there's uh, a chemical injury or an infectious agent or or a traumatic injury, the body responds by creating a first an acute inflammatory response where the immune cells try to circle the agent or the injury site. And then um, slowly that inflammation resolves and the inflammation goes away. 
The problem with ApoE4 is that um, it associates with, when the inflammation happens, it associates with poor resolution. So instead of resolving quickly, it lingers and stays for a long time. And that uh, lingering unresolved inflammation now becomes a problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is no evidence that ApoE4 by itself creates inflammation. Mm-hmm. In fact, the more we learn about ApoE4, the more we understand that ApoE4 mishandles inflammation. Mm-hmm. And when you look at all ApoE4 carriers, you'd find a lot of ApoE4 carriers with no inflammation. Mm-hmm. What, where is this crosstalk or interaction? This interaction happens when an ApoE4 carrier has inflammation, the risk of disease gets higher. And that's actually been shown in one study that was pretty poorly designed uh, regarding COVID-19 and APOE4 carriers. I don't know if you saw that, but we had poorer outcomes. And I say it was poorly designed because I think the data set was all people who were in the hospital. So we have to assume that there were many APOE4 carriers who got sick and stayed at home and did fairly well. So, yeah. So, yeah. So it it makes me wonder, as an APOE4 carrier, what inflammatory biomarker should I be tracking to make sure I don't have inflammation in my body? We don't really have the answer to that, but we may have clues. Okay. So in the Framingham cohort uh, in the north of Boston, uh, they looked at the C-reactive protein as a measure Mm -hmm. of blood inflammation. Right. And they found out that E4 carriers had possibly less levels of C-reactive protein, less inflammation. Uh, But that's not the story. The story in APOE4 carriers who had higher C-reactive protein for some other reason, they declined and progressed to have Alzheimer's disease at much faster rate than those E4 carriers without high C-reactive protein. Right. So so the the nuances is that APOE4 is not causing the high C-reactive protein because more APOE4 carriers have lower C-reactive proteins. But those unlucky... APOE4 carriers who, for some reason, had chronic inflammation, whether it's diabetes, obesity, cardiovascular disease, some form of uh, response that the body is now turning the inflammatory state, their brain did not do well. Wow. So there aren't other specific inflammatory biomarkers that you would track, like TNF-alpha or any of those, IL-6? Um, IL-6 and TNF-alpha are produced by the same mechanism in the liver that leads to, in fact, IL-6 gets converted to C-reactive protein. So okay. They're okay. So in our community, lots of people track their C-reactive protein, and many of us try to keep it below one. Um, and as you noted, and as the Framingham study showed, and that seems to be pretty easy for many of us. But occasionally, I do see members of our community that have really high numbers. Um, kind of inexplicably. Um, and so that's probably an indication that something else is going on. Right. And APOE4 does not know how to respond to inflammation, and that's why it gets into trouble. Right. And we would basically treat that by tracking down whatever the root cause is. If it's obesity and metabolic syndrome, we would address that and or whatever, I would imagine. Right, right. 
I kind of want to go backwards because I should have asked you this before. So we know that um, APOE4 carries lipids poorly. Are there any biomarkers surrounding lipids that you would pay particular attention to if you're an APOE4 carrier? So um, the answer to that is yes. Okay. We know that APOE4 carriers, uh, not all of them for sure, right. but a portion of them inefficiently carry cholesterol. Uh, and, and when I say inefficient, I mean that the APOE4 protein goes to the liver and sticks to the LDL receptor. Mm-hmm. And when it does that, it, it forces the LDL receptor to function less. And the LDL receptor has an essential mechanism in clearing cholesterol from the body. Right. So some APOE4 carriers may have higher levels of LDL cholesterol. Right. And that can tell you that the APOE4 system is not efficiently able to clear or get rid of cholesterol. And it's a, another uh, indication of how this APOE4 is not efficiently allowing the metabolism of lipids. Right. So many of us track our standard cholesterol, um, you know, panels, but we also do the advanced panels to see what those uh, lipids look like as well. And certainly I'd say we have um, a pretty high percentage of people in our community that do end up having high LDL cholesterol, uh, but sometimes not a high LDL particle number, which makes it less concerning, especially if oxidized LDL is a low. I, I love your focus on HDL. Um, my understanding of the research, and I know nothing is conclusive, seems to be that a higher HDL would be protective for APOE4 carriers. What do you um, think? Let's, let's let's take a step backwards sure. and talk about HDL first. Sure. Um, uh, HDL is a particle that carries lipids, including cholesterol. HDL cholesterol is not the same as HDL particles. You could have higher HDL cholesterol with not uh, more number of HDL particles. You could have lower HDL cholesterol and a lot of HDL particles. The other example is you can have a lot of buses with no people riding them, and you can have a lot of buses with tens of people riding them, and the cholesterol here is the rider of the bus. So Uh, A large number of HDL cholesterol does not necessarily mean that the traffic of cholesterol is faster or slower. Sometimes when you have disease states that block the exchange or transport of cholesterol, you can have an artificially high HDL cholesterol that's not protected. And sometimes the high HDL cholesterol is a measure of a lot of traffic going to the liver for excretion. So I realize that doesn't fully quench your thirst about is high HDL cholesterol good or bad? And I think my answer to that, it depends on the context. And somebody who's right. exercising, yes. has you know, good genes, their parents live to 100, a high HDL cholesterol reflects a status of active flux of cholesterol from tissues to the liver right. excretion. But in somebody who has, for example, type 1 diabetes, drinks alcohol, yeah. and has other problems, a high HDL cholesterol reflects a dysfunctional state. And low HDL cholesterol also holds the same concept. You could have low HDL cholesterol and be in a disease state, and you could have low HDL cholesterol, but your HDL flux is high and you could be functional. So that's why I would argue for people not to put so much money on what the HDL cholesterol level is because 
that has to be interpreted with caution. It has to be interpreted with the whole clinical picture in mind. I certainly appreciate that. Um, How about the HDL particle number? Would you say a higher particle number or a lower particle number would be more protective for APOE4? We don't know that. I think it's a great question. And I think we need to study that in more detail. And my lab is certainly interested in this question. And we are measuring HDL particles in people with and without APOE4 carriers. We're not really finding a big uh, hooray answer, but what we actually will hopefully publish soon, it's in review right now, is that lower HDL particle numbers in the brain associates with features of Alzheimer's disease. Okay, and are lower HDL particle numbers in the periphery correlated with lower HDL particles in the brain? It did. It did. Wow. It it was not as strongly associated with what's happening in the brain compared to HDL particles in the brain. Okay. So HDL, of all the lipoproteins, um, is there any crosstalk between the periphery and the central nervous system with HDL? We just published a review on this last month. Um, So the the dogma says there is no interchange because these are two different components, but we're finding in our studies that the small HDL particles, because HDL exists in many different sizes, we're finding that the small HDL particles are correlating between blood and CSF, which is a measure of brain HDL or cerebrospinal fluid. And we're hypothesizing that those small particles might be exchanging. Right. I think I've read some hints about that in the literature before, and I wondered if the small particles were able to cross a blood-brain barrier. So that's a paper that you'll be publishing soon, it sounds like. I'm hoping. It's in the oh. right now in Alzheimer's and dementia. So we, oh. hope, we, we, we would find out in the next uh, two to three months uh, what the fate of that paper is, but we're hoping that the the, the scientific audience will appreciate this one. Oh, I'm sure that they will. That's something that our communities paid a lot of attention to, HDL. So let's move on to that third mechanism. You mentioned that APOE4 carriers metabolize nutrients differently, fats and carbohydrates. Can you expand on that mechanism? Sure. So this is where also my lab works on understanding. Um, so um, one of the uh, features of APOE4 and its ability to modulate metabolism um, associates with um, changes in, in how mitochondria and maybe peroxisomes, and these are subcellular organelles that metabolize mm-hmm. fatty acids. Um, it affects how these areas in the liver possibly and in the brain too oxidize and metabolize fatty acids, specifically polyunsaturated fatty acids. So our studies suggest that APOE4 carriers um, tend to oxidize or break down polyunsaturated fatty acids at a higher rate than non-E4 carriers. And this process gets more uh, pronounced with aging and as disease state ensues. So what we specifically find, if we give an APOE4 carrier an omega-3 rich diet, uh, they tend to have less increases in their blood and the brain as measured by CSF compared to one E4 meaning that the APOE4 system is consuming more omega-3s than APOE3. 
And that also to us means that an 8.4 carrier not consuming enough omega-3s is at a higher risk of omega-3 deficiencies. So, so we proposed uh, a few years back in 2017, 2016, that the 8.4 uh, brain could be hungry for omega-3s and would require a higher intake of omega-3s compared to the non 4 brain decades before the onset of disease. Yeah. And we also proposed that as the disease ensues, the brain switches to um, a system that hyperoxidizes or increases the, the, the catabolism or destruction of, of omega-3s that it becomes futile to start the supplementation after disease ensues because it's no longer using them in the right direction. So what we mentioned in the 2017 uh, paper in JAMA Neurology is that we think um, E4 carriers, decades, decades, we were talking from 20s to 60s, uh, consume more omega-3s because the, the APOE4 brain is hungry for those. And then, but once you develop the disease status, it may not make a difference because you switch now into a different metabolism state where omega-3s can no longer become effective. Right. That's one aspect that my lab is doing. And in fact, we got funded by both NIH and the Alzheimer's Drug Discovery Foundation to launch a, a relatively large trial. We call it PREVENT E4, where we're giving APOE4 carriers um, relatively higher doses of omega-3 supplements over two years. But we um, you know, struggle to find those E4 carriers because one, you have to be APOE4. Two, you have to not like eating fish because we're looking oh. for people who do not consume omega-3s. And three, you cannot have dementia or cognitive impairment. So we're looking for people between the age of 55 and 80 who happen to carry the E4, not eat a lot of fish, and don't have disease. And the reason why we're looking in this age range is because if you look at younger people, you won't find changes in cognition. Mm -hmm. So we wouldn't know if it's going to be working or not. So we want to catch them a year or two before they have disease to see whether the supplementation with large doses of omega-3s can alter or, or make a dent in the progression towards disease. So that's one aspect of, of, of the answer to your question. There's yeah. another aspect. Also. Okay. Um, I, let me ask a, a quick question. So you say high dose of omega-3. What is the dose that you're giving people in the trial? We're giving them two grams per day of DHA. DHA. Okay. And uh, what type of DHA? It's uh, produced in algae. And okay. And... Um, it is uh, uh, what, what's known as triglyceride-based DHA. Okay. And why did you choose to do a vegan-based DHA? No, was, I didn't specifically choose to do a vegan-based, but this form of DHA has been studied extensively before. Sure. Okay. It's available. Sure. And we know that this form of DHA efficiently raises the amount of DHA in blood. Got it. So um, I know that we need to move on to part two of uh, your answer to this question, but I sort of want to stay here for just a moment. So if you were an APOE4 carrier uh, like me, I'm 59 years old and not showing symptoms at the moment, um, it would be a reasonable suggestion that I would not want to skimp on my omega-3 fatty acids at this point part of my um, lifespan, I would, I would imagine. Uh, 
let me also reflect hum- humbleness because we don't know. Yes, I, I, know. I do not want to give you uh, information that's not supported by strong evidence because sure. if you had evidence, this should be a recommendation and not a product. Right. Put before carriers on placebo. But to answer your questions, I think um, if I were an APOE4 carrier, mm-hmm. uh, I would possibly want to increase my omega-3 consumption from fish. Yeah. And I think the reason why I'm focusing on fish because um, fatty fish contain so many other nutrients right. besides omega-3s that makes the body's consumption of omega-3s much more efficient and smart. Right. Absolutely. So let's move on to part two of how APOE4 carriers metabolize nutrients differently. So the second part has to do with body weight. Okay. Resistance. So I'm sorry, can you insulin, repeat that? Insulin resistance. Oh, it, absolutely. Right. So APOE4, we know, is associated with... Um, more insulin resistance and lower body. So typically, APOE4 carriers can be skinnier, but they are more insulin resistant, meaning that they don't really know how to metabolize glucose. Right. So one of the things we are interested in studying is um, what is the effect of maybe modulating insulin resistance on the APOE4 brain? And one way to alter insulin resistance is through exercise. Mm-hmm. One way to alter insulin resistance is through a, a low-carb diet. One way to alter insulin resistance is through weight loss. Now, we don't really fully understand what the recommendations should be like, but we have hypotheses. And please um, take this with a grain of salt because it's okay. a hypothesis. We don't think caloric restriction or losing weight is a good idea for APOE4 carriers, despite the fact that it improves insulin resistance, based on basic science studies suggesting that APOE4 adipocyte is not able to tolerate weight changes graciously. So Mm -hmm. an APOE4 carrier who loses more weight might be at a higher risk of diseases than an APOE4 carrier who maintains or even gains weight. Wow. And overall, that applies to everyone of every APOE genotype. It seems like it's been a little surprising, but it seems like people that are um, of a slightly heavier weight seem to be protected somewhat. Yeah, I I can't tell you how it applies by genotype because the studies have to be done and they're not done yet. Right. But we have enough epidemiology observational code to suggest that Older APOE4 carriers with heavier weight do better than older APOE4 carriers with thinner weight. Interesting. This is an association or a correlation. We don't fully understand that, but we know that in mice models, when you feed a mouse a high-fat diet, a Western diet, not a high-fat diet, a diet that's rich in elements that can make the mouse diabetic or insulin resistant, the APOE4 mouse tends to gain less weight but become much more insulin resistant than the APOE3 or APOE2 models because they cannot expand their depots efficiently. That is fascinating. 
So um, we also know that as APOE4 carriers become insulin resistant, they're less able to use glucose in the brain. And I guess imaging studies have shown that we have issues with that starting as early as age 20, if you're going to look at the studies from Eric Ryman and Richard Caselli. Um, and in the same regions of the brain as Alzheimer's patients, even though these 20-year-olds aren't showing symptoms, they still have that deficit of being able to use glucose efficiently in the brain. I have to caution you that these findings don't apply to heterozygotes. Those findings are largely driven by homozygotes and have not been reproduced yet. In fact, larger studies which have happened decades or maybe years after Eric Ryman published these findings sure. reproduced these findings. So to a large extent, the majority, if not all studies that came later, do not show that a younger APOE4 carriers have deficits in brain glucose uptake. Very encouraging. When you look at large cohorts, hundreds of people, right. you realize that, uh, for example, a study by Nopman from the Mayo Clinic right. uh, suggested that the changes in glucose metabolism in the brain in APOE4 carriers do not appear before the age of 60. And he studied approximately 800 individuals. Um, and if you want to dig deeper into what Eric Ryman's findings were in the 20s and 30s, they might have been biased toward APOE4 homozygotes in a very small subset of patients. So we don't know uh, whether it just happened by luck that those APOE4 carriers had more severe disease, but in general, there is no evidence that younger APOE4 carriers um, have uh, strong deficits in brain glucose metabolism at this age. It appears to happen at older age and perhaps five years before non-carrying. Right. That's very encouraging. And I think you're right. Dr. Ryman's um, data set was certainly rich in APOE4 carriers, and it was certainly people at very high risk um, and probably more homozygotes than heterozygotes. Um, but so that would make sense. And I also wondered about the metabolic health of that data set because that finding was so surprising. Yes. And yeah. You know, since that publication, we've had many papers that do not show a clear signal that APOE4 is doing that to the brain at that age. Now, APOE4 may have a lot of effects on the brain, mm -hmm. uh, and, and it is possible that in some APOE4 homozygotes, you could clearly see some signal, but in general, it's diluted out. Um, in fact, we have published a paper in 35-year-old APOE4 carriers showing increased omega-3 brain uptake. Right. And what we, and again, it's a small subset, 35 individuals. We still have to reproduce it in a larger group. But what that suggested to us is that the APOE4 brain is consuming more omega-3s than the non-APOE4 brain, possibly because it, it, it prefers fat over glucose. Right. And uh, many people in our community, and we know we don't have definitive research, but many of us are using a low-carb approach and very regular exercise and, you know, certainly trying to make sure we have enough omega-3s on board. So everything you're saying beautifully dovetails with what people in our community are doing. Um, 
I guess that brings me to my next question. If you were an APRO E4 carrier, and I don't know that you're not, <laughs> um, but what diet or lifestyle strategies would you be using to protect yourself from the effects of APRO E4? Right. It's a great question. And um, let me start by saying we need to do more research into it. And I think the community, the APOE4 community should stand up and work together to support more APOE4 research. Yes. Um, so we've had decades of research into amyloid and tau. Yeah. But we only start to scratch the surface of APOE4. And we know that APOE4 is by far the strongest genetic risk factor for late onset Alzheimer's disease. So that's why fundamentally, if there's anything that the community can help with is to spread the word support APOE4. Absolutely. Coming back to your question is, if I knew that I was an APOE4 carrier, Mm -hmm. what can I do to change my lifespan risk of having dementia Mm -hmm. or uh, Mm -hmm. cognitive diseases with age? One, I would probably consume more fat than carbohydrates. And when I talk about fat, I'm more referring to healthy fats and not saturated fats. That includes uh, nuts, that includes um, fatty fish, avocados, and olive oil, and stuff like that. I would consume less simple sugars. Simple sugars come in the form of sodas, uh, Mm -hmm. cakes, because we know there's an association of simple sugars with diabetes and insulin resistance. I would definitely not smoke, because we know that smoking would worsen vascular biology and make it higher likelihood that there's vascular dysfunction in the APOE4 system. I would develop an exercise strategy where I would engage in at least 150 minutes in a given week. That's 30 minutes a day, five days a week of some form of exercise. It doesn't have to be high intensity. It could be as simple as, you know, anaerobic exercise where I stretch myself, walking, fast, running, swimming, any form of exercise is good. Um, I would engage in some form of meditation that would clean up my thought processes and help me to reorganize um, music and anything that can possibly de-stress and and not cause uh, any increase in stress. Importantly, I would uh, take any chronic disease in middle age seriously. So if I had diabetes, hypertension, um, if I had uh, you know, low vitamin Bs, if I had anything that could possibly put my brain at risk, I would deal with it when I'm asymptomatic between the ages of 20 and 60 and not wait until after 60. Um, there are other things that we haven't talked about, which is the importance of vitamin B for brain health. I'm not advocating for supplements, but what I'm trying to say is that the vitamin B has an important role in the transport of omega-3s to the brain. Vitamin B can be found in fish, could be found in green leafy vegetables and other sources. And I want to make sure I understand what you're saying. Vitamin B? Yes. B as in a baby book. <laughs> okay, and there's so many forms of vitamin B. So which, which are you referring to? Vitamin B12? B12 and B6 and folate acid. And folate, right. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, a lot of people in our community pay attention to those three to keep homocysteine down. Yes, exactly. So, right. Exactly. So we want to do that because also we understand that the omega-3s to be able to get to the brain, they have to be on phospholipids. And that reaction yeah. requires folic acid and vitamin B12. Yes. Okay. So, 
So yeah. the, these things go together. And that's why fish is a more complete source of omega-3s than supplements because the actual fish itself will have vitamin D, vitamin E, vitamin E, which is an antioxidant, lutein, which is an antioxidant. So that's why um, sometimes just taking one supplement may not be sufficient. Absolutely. It's always best to get nutrients from food, you know, as opposed to a supplement. Um, my final question for you is, do we know enough to do APOE testing? Should think, we be testing people? Yeah, I used to get asked that question a few years back, and then my answer was no. Okay. But my answer has evolved to yes. And I think nice. because we have a little bit more information than a decade ago. And um, with the information we have today, I would tell the APOE4 carrier exactly what I've, we just talked about. Hey. If they knew that they were APOE4 and they had a family history of dementia, they would, they would have plenty of time to prepare and to do the best they can to avoid getting into um, a later risk. You don't want to certainly have this discussion at the age of 75. Oh, absolutely. And you don't want to learn uh, later in life. It's always better to know sooner. And I completely agree with you. We think everyone should know their APOE status. For instance, I wish I knew my son was an APOE4 carrier before he decided to engage in extreme skate skateboarding absolutely. and get a bunch of concussions on his head. I mean, right. so there's lots of preventative things we could do. I also would have paid so much more attention to Omega-3 had yes. I known when he was young, although we are paying attention now. <laughs> so yes, exactly. Yeah. For the exact reasons that exactly. sometimes, sometimes knowledge is bliss. And in this case, we, we are trying to um, make the argument that this should be part of uh, a memory clinic, a metabolic clinic, where when we see APOE4 carriers, we include genetic counseling, nutrition, exercise, lifestyle. So it's all good. And um, you know, to, to deal with APOE4, we need a good understanding what it does. And that understanding will be influenced by many other things, including family history of dementia, including race, including age, including disease stage. The recommendation may differ for somebody who's 75 than somebody who's 30. So there's a lot of research that needs to happen, but we're starting to to see the tip of the iceberg. And I think we're heading in the right direction. Oh, absolutely. And you shared a beautiful uh, PDF with me that gave some advice essentially for APOE4 carriers. And you echoed it much of, the, much of it in this discussion. But in our show notes, I plan to share that with our community if, yeah. you, if you don't mind. And I did have one question about that. I noticed that you recommend a lot of omega-3 rich foods that are plant sources, um, and you only recommend um, seafood like once a week. Why do you prefer the plant sources? Over I, I don't prefer plant sources. I, I, okay. It's at least one time, one, uh, one serving. Okay. So at least one. So right. you could have two or three or four. Sure. But the evidence is really toward zero versus one is much bigger than one versus four. Wow, okay. The people who do not consume any fish, uh, the epidemiology evidence supports that they have greater risk of dementia compared to people who have one or two servings. But as you go from one or two servings to four, the risk reduction is not as steep. 
Oh, interesting. Okay. I'm not saying that omega-3s found in nuts is superior or inferior to omega-3s found in, in fish, although there is the argument that the human body may not efficiently make the fish-derived omega-3s uh, from the plant-derived omega-3s. We cannot convert alpha-linoleic acid, which is found in black seed or walnuts, mm-hmm. to DHA and EPA. But um, nevertheless, levels of ALA, alpha-linoleic acid, correlates with better outcomes. So people who consume nuts uh, seem also to provide their brain with a nutrient that the brain likes. Again, I'm not saying one is superior to the other. Sure. But one thing is that it, it appears that consumption of omega-3s, not binging on them, but just consumption right. of omega-3s seems to be protective for the brain. Yes. Okay, wonderful. Well, I can't thank you enough for sharing your expertise with us. Um, if you would like, we'd love to help you recruit people for Prevent E4. If you're still trying yeah. to get folks enrolled in the study, we can make an announcement on the site. Absolutely. So um, you can go to our website, uh, www.omega3brainstudy.com. And uh, omega3brainstudy.com has the phone numbers, the protocol, the age group, the inclusion-exclusion criteria. And um, you can support us by joining the study, spreading the word, talking to your friends, your family members. Um, This is an NIH-funded study. Uh, which means it has been peer-reviewed by uh, people who are experts in the field. That also means that the budget tends to be modest, so we wouldn't have a big budget to fly people in, but we do the best we can to get them into the study with our resources. I have to disclose that I have no conflict of interest with supplements. I don't get paid by the supplement industry, and I'm not advocating for taking supplements. And if we knew that supplements work, we would not do this trial. Of course. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the, the paper that you are going to upload on your website is yeah. not really an evidence-based recommendation. Right. It's more of, we think this is where the science is today. Um, this is the best available evidence we have today, but it might change. It does not guarantee that you do this and you don't get disease. You may still get disease. It does not replace talking to the doctor. But it's the best available evidence we have today. And... You know, if I made mistakes, I will admit them. If some of the recommendations need to be changed, they will be changed. We keep an open mind, and we realize that science is evolving. Absolutely. And new information will come in the future that makes us change our mind. Absolutely. And as I said earlier, we share your humility. We're on this APOE4 journey together and we're learning more every day. And what I thought was helpful yesterday may not be the same as what's helpful tomorrow. And so I'm always looking for new research and looking to understand more. And thank you once again for sharing your expertise. You're very welcome to come back anytime you have new findings or want to share results of your clinical trial and we will help you spread the word thank you so much all right thank you all right take care hussein bye-bye the apoe4.info community of citizen scientists is on a mission to learn what strategies move us toward vibrant health and away from the pathologies associated with our high-risk gene If you're another carrier or suspect you might be based upon family history, or even if you just want to learn how to protect your brain and heart, be sure to check us out on the web 
at apoe4.info.